Okay, if you have our Bibles, let's turn to Romans chapter 8. This morning, I want to read some scriptures to us, simply to encourage us. Okay? As I, talk, as I will speak round these scriptures, I really felt the need to read a bit more this morning than, than speak. But then again, that's sometimes uh, that's harder for me to do. We're still talking about living the days of heaven here on the earth. You know, when I first heard Jonathan David talk in our conference this year about the days of heaven, it caught me. Now, he spoke a couple of sessions on it. I'm on part 17. So when God gives you something, he, exp he expands it, enlarges it. This is why when I go to Malaysia, this is what I get. This is my time to receive things that I wouldn't normally see because I'm spending most of my time giving out. So it's my time to receive from God. Amen? I spend a lot of time receiving from God, but I mean in this certain kind of context. I receive things there that I would not receive elsewhere. So, you know, here we are, part 17, and heaven's still not fallen the way we want it to fall. But we'll keep pressing. We'll keep pushing until we see heaven. It seems to me that there's no other point, there's no other way that seems uh, acceptable to live than to live under the days of heaven. There seems no other point. What's the point of living any other kind of life if heaven's not involved? And uh, so many of us have got used to living without heaven involved that your ordinary life is ordinary. It's the usual life where if we can get heaven involved in our life, then life becomes unusual. It becomes strangely, beautifully, wonderfully unusual when heaven's involved. And, um, you know, if heaven is, such, is meant to be such a beautiful place, why do we have to die before we taste it? It's not true. We don't have to die before we taste heaven. We can taste heaven here on earth. Those who have passed on will taste heaven, live in heaven, be surrounded with heaven in its fullness. But us who are here, we can tap into heaven every day. Jesus carried heaven on earth. Would you all agree? And if I've got Christ in me and I'm in Christ, well, then I have the same capacity. I have the same access to what he had. Amen? Jesus said, you'll do greater things than him. That's, tran that's transference of legacy. He's saying, guys, I know you don't believe it when you look at me. You see, I'm the father, you see the Father in me, and you see this Son divine, but I'm telling you now, you'll do greater things than me. Can you imagine the Son of God telling you, telling you that? But that's exactly, was it the truth? Yes. Why? Because heaven will be involved. Jesus wouldn't tell us a lie. If we can't trust him there, we can't trust him anywhere. So we've got to be able to trust him at any point, anything he says to us, we must be able to trust him. He said, guys, you'll do greater things than I will. Why? Because the Holy Ghost will be given. Heaven will be involved. The Father will be speaking. The Holy Ghost will be leading. I'll be there interceding. You can't fail. That's the kind of life I want. That's the kind of life he wants me to have. Amen? There are so many things that God wants to get involved in, but he can't get involved unless he comes through you. So many things that God wants to be involved in, but he can't be involved unless he comes through you. He's sovereign, but he won't violate his will on you. He'll do it somewhere else. He'll start somewhere else. But God is sovereign, but he wants to come through you. Let your will be done, Lord. Where's your will be done? In me. As it is in heaven. So the pattern in heaven becomes the pattern on the earth. Jesus was called the pattern son. Why? Because he modeled everything his father did. 
His father never did anything that the son didn't do. The son didn't do anything. That's why when the devil tried to tempt Jesus, he tried to stop Jesus representing his father. And and Jesus said, no, get behind me, Satan, because you don't have the things in God. Why? Because you want me to work independently from my father. And the moment you work independently from your father, your heavenly father, you're rogue. One of our drones has gone missing. One of our drones has gone rogue. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, I'm going to read you a verse that you all know very, very well. And you've all struggled to understand. So I'm going to try and help you understand it a little bit further this morning. Because at any point in our life, this verse doesn't make sense. At some point in your life, some season in your life, some trial in your life, some temptation in your life, something happens that you didn't plan for, this scripture will not make sense. But it makes perfect sense. And we know in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Who's ever saw, who's ever read that and thought, I don't see that. I don't feel that in my life. Right now I feel sad. Right now I feel mad. Right now I feel angry. I feel perplexed. I feel confused. Lord, I do not see you working in this situation. Anybody been there? Yeah. I don't see God working in death, but he's there. I want to see God working when I'm being blessed. Oh, I can see that. Oh, yes, Lord, I can see it's your hand. But when these nasty things, dark things, bad things happen, I, you, we together don't always see God moving. Or am I the only one? So he starts off with, we know. We know. In other words, we have knowledge, yeah, to know some things about God. God's given us some knowledge to know about him. Though we don't understand, we know. Yes? It's one thing to know someone's in control. But it's another thing not to understand the circumstances that's led to this appearance like it looks like he's out of control. I know you might be the one responsible, but I still don't know what you know. So what does a parent say to his child? Johnny? Calm down, dad's here. But what does Johnny focus on? All the issues around him, the circumstances around him. But dad knows something that Johnny doesn't know. Yes? Johnny knows dad's his father. He knows dad's Superman. But still, Johnny's still fearing. Because sometimes, even though he knows, he knows dad is the power that he is and the force he is, he's still frightened that there may be some things beyond dad. True? And how many times do we think, God, there are some things I think even you can't change. Go on now, go on. Allow yourself to go there for one minute. Yes. Do you know why? Because if there is lack of faith, then there is doubt, and then there's a ceiling in your thinking that says, God, I don't think you can do this. True? That's what, that's what lack of faith is. It's knowing God. But it's not believing that it really is in control of what I'm going through. Or am I the only one? Yeah, you're backslidden a lot. You know it's true. So he breaks the verse down. We know. So then the next thing he says, 
that in all things. So we know that in all things. What does all things mean? All things. God wants you to know that in every area and aspect of our lives and, uh, and life in general, He is working. So we know, comma, that in all things. God's working in all things. All things. In every aspect of our life, God is working. Sometimes it's stealth. Other times it's visible. You can see God working. Most time he's working behind you. You don't know he's doing it. He's engineering. He's creating things. So on time you walk into his work. You walk into his will. He's engineering it. It's amazing how God, the billions of people on the earth, God knows how to put you at a certain time in a certain place and a certain person comes across that connects you to destiny, to the next step. Only God could do that. He's doing it to billions of people. God never goes, oh, flipping heck, I forgot all about Phil. Because if, if, listen, Phil's only got one life. So if, if God missed it, Phil can miss it. But God will always make sure his will is, is, is actually fulfilled. Amen? He'll always do it. Even if you don't fulfill his will, he knew about it. And he's already got another person involved. Wow. Have you ever seen, well, I forget that movie. What's that movie where, with uh, Matt Damon and they all walk into different doors? You know the movie I'm on about? They're walking, they're just, the adjustment bureau. God's the adjustment bureau. He knows exactly what door to turn. At what time. And he knows what, have you anybody ever seen that movie? It's brilliant, very good. Every time they open a door, they're in another world. Another part of the world, another level. And all the people in the world wear hats so they all know who, who, you know, who the doorkeepers are. It's very good. I'm not promoting, but it's a good movie. It just came to my mind, okay? So God's the adjustment bureau. He knows how to adjust to get you there on time. So God's working in every area and aspect of our lives. Amen. And then he says, God works for the good. So we've got, we know that in all things, comma, God works for the good. Amen. So the devil works as well. You work. God works. Do you know you work to destroy yourself? The devil works to destroy you. So the devil partners with you. Yeah? God works with you so that you will partner with him. Yes? The devil wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He works in all things as well. Yeah? He has a sense that you've got destiny, but he doesn't know what you know. Never think Satan knows what you know. He does not. Satan does not. Listen, Satan's not a mind reader. That's yours. What the, th the secret things, Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret th things belong to the Lord and the secret things he shares with us. Amen? He sets eternity in our hearts. He sets the secrets. He sets the desires. He sets the goal. He sets key things in our... Satan doesn't know what you know. But he knows when you're moving towards things. So as he senses you're moving towards things... He will then try and be a distraction and a destruction and a derailment to your life. But God works for the good. Always remember, the devil on his best day, his smartest day, his fittest day, this is his best day, he's still defeated. Always remember that. 
on his best day, is still a defeated foe. Christ, on his weakest day, is still victorious. Still overcame the enemy on his weakest day. So Satan, shut up, sit down. That's it. You've got you to look at things like this. God's working in all things. Then he says this. So we know that in all things, God works for the good. So even in the midst of destruction, God's working to bring a good outcome. That's the part we don't understand. That's the part we don't understand. Right now, how is any good coming out of Ebola? How, right now, how is any good coming out of Syria? But we know. We've got to start with what we know. Hello? There's a lot of things we don't know, but we've got to start with what we know. And who we know. Yes? So, he says, God's works for the good. So we know that. We know. We know in the midst of darkness, they're still good. Yes? They're still good. Now, it changes. For those who love him. Now, that changes now. That changes significantly. Because not everybody in the world loves God, but God loves the world. And because God loves the world, he's working for the good of the world. Well, because God loves you, he's working for the good of you. So God's always working for the good. But the good of the world and the good of you are two different things. Because they have two different agendas. Because you, God's got a planned sovereign will for the earth. He's, he's, he's told us what this will is. We can read it. We can track it. Okay? Can you understand this? He's shown us all the way through Scripture from Genesis right to the end. We know God's will for the earth. We know how it will close, how it will finish. We know what horses will come into, or should I say, what politics will come into power. We read it. He spoke to us. Now, we need revelation to understand it, but he's already told us. Right? But what we don't know is the divine sovereign plan of God for our life because we take that stage by stage, step by step. We combine faith with, with the word, as we just heard this morning. So as we trust God, believe God, we know that he'll lead us to the next place. So it's a walk of faith. The world, what's going to happen in the world doesn't need any faith. It's going to happen. But you as a Christian need to take step by step. And as you take a step, it's like the snakes and ladders. As you take a snap, you roll the dice and it shows favor. It shows obedience. It shows trust. You go up and there's always a snake on another ladder. Have you noticed that? There's always a snake ready to get you. Why? Because the devil works for bad, but God works for good. Yes? So as we are obedient, God says, go on, roll the dice again. Have another go. So sometimes you get two sixes. All the way to the top. Sometimes one decision in your life takes you up four levels. Just one piece of obedience. Forgiveness, for instance. When I forgave what I had to, when, with my father, when I forgave my dad, I went up ten notches. Forgave. It wasn't, it's like there was a snake waiting there to take me out. But forgiveness, God says, go on, right up to the top, go. And just as you finish that game, then God opens another board. So right now you're on level two. So on level one, there might be ten levels, but it's only level one. Yeah? So we know that God works for good for those who love him. Amen? And who walk accordingly. Then the last part is, 
those who have been called according to his purpose. So now there's a company that's been called and there's a company who are moving towards a purpose. In other words, they're going somewhere with the one they know. How many of you know a lot of people in life? If you wrote a list down, if you tried to write a list, write a list down of all the people you know, some of you don't make 10, you couldn't even put them in your phone. You couldn't even make your 10 friends list and, and get your discount on Orange. But for others, you know a lot of people, but you're not going anywhere with them. You just know the people that's come in your life, they might be people your mum your mum knew, your father knew, it might be your sister knew, your brother knew, your friend knows. You're in, introduced to people all the time. You recognize faces, but you're not going anywhere with them. Right. So that, but then there's a face that you are going somewhere with. I'm going somewhere with my wife. I'm going somewhere with my friends. I'm going somewhere, hopefully, with you. I'm going somewhere with my kids. Now, my kids don't always want to come in the same place I'm going. But guess what? It's too late. Dad's praying. They're coming where I'm going. They'll have to make their own choice somewhere down the line. But guess what? As long as dad's got breath to pray, God's calling them to where I am. Kids don't like it. Kids don't know it. Kids feel uncomfortable around me sometimes. That's okay. No kid feels comfortable around his dad, especially when he's saying things he doesn't want to hear. So that's just part of life. But we're going somewhere. So we've been called according to his purpose. So when we look at that scripture... And we know that in all things, God, work, God works for the good of those who love him and has been called according to his purpose. It starts with, we know. We've got to know something about the king and the kingdom of heaven. God wants us to know some things. How many of you can understand that? So when God works in all things, he's working in the background and he's working in the foreground. How many of you understand that? So right now, God's doing things behind your back. In other words, God engineered you being here. You wasn't thinking about it, but then there came a day when you did. You didn't know maybe some of the people that brought you here, they were gonna, you didn't know that some of the people who led you to this place was ever going to do that to you. There came a time and a season in your heart when you came open. God was working in the background. Well, the first day I walked into this church, it was the saddest day of my life because I didn't want to be here. God had engineered that in the 2014, I will be his pastor. Little did I know, I lied and cheated to him not for me to be here. I manipulated my way not to be here. Did everything I can, but God had engineered it that I will be here. Now, he didn't force me to make a decision that I'll be a pastor. That was the last, can you imagine him having that conversation with me first day? Say, hey, Tony, you're going to be the pastor here. And I walked out of this building. I've told you many times, I vowed I would never, ever come back in this building. Never vow to God, unless you're serious. And God says, you know, I can imagine them all laughing in heaven going, you hear this idiot down here. You hear this boy down here. He doesn't know that one day he'll be leading it. And people will be saying the same thing when he walks through the door. True? Why? Because now I know that. I know that. Now I know that in all things, God was working in my disobedience. I know that God works for the good. Some of you are still working that one out. Are you telling our pastor's good? Is he really good for me? Those who love him. Listen, God knows the difference between those who are stupid and those who are wicked. God knew, God knew I, was, I was stupid. I wasn't wicked. 
just didn't want, I wanted to do my own thing. But God says, no, Tony, you've been called according to my purpose. I didn't even know what purpose was. But God, God had me here. God brought me here. So, God's working in the background. God's working in the foreground without you knowing it. Would you all agree with that? Yeah? So, then it is also fair to conclude that there are some things that God knows that you don't know. God's working in the background and God's working in the foreground. And between those two grounds, right, there's things that you don't know. Is that okay? Can you, can you, you, I'm setting you up here. You know that, don't you? Okay. So, God knows that you don't know. God knows that you don't know what he knows. God knows that those things that he knows, he doesn't have to tell you about. There are things that he knows that he doesn't have to tell you about. He's not obligated to tell you, but you can't live with that. True? Not knowing... Not knowing can be frustrating. Yeah? Not knowing that God knows God won't tell you is frustrating. Lord, will you, can you, should you tell me everything? God says, stop, 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 stop. Shut up. Stop complaining. Me, God, you not. This is the revelation that we all need. God's God. I'm not. In fact, the Bible tells us what right does the, the vessel have to speak to the potter? No, we don't. But if, if I know that God knows things that I don't know, then I've got to have some peace about what he knows and he's not telling me. Because what he's not telling me is for my benefit. And what he's not telling me, half of it's not to do with me anyway. True? So your parents, again, let's use the illustration of children and parents. Do parents tell all their children everything they know? If they're smart, they say no. Right? Why? There's some things you're not mature enough to listen to. There are some things that are private between me and your mother. Okay? There are some things, Johnny, that you just can't handle and you blab if we tell you our secret it's no longer our secret it's everybody's knowledge and when God tells you things sometimes he didn't give you permission to tell everybody but we go and blab it God he thinks God God I gave that God's saying I gave that to you to think about to think upon and you wasted it you gave it out you you threw it out there preachers are the worst for this So, you need to know, I should say, you need to ask yourself, what do you know? That's a good question. What do I know? Start with what you know. If you're going to learn the mystery of Romans 8, many people start with what they don't know and and, and are frustrated about, rather than starting with what they know. I'm going to start with what I know. I know God's good. I know he's called me according to his purpose. I know he's got plans for me. Right. He'll let me know. He'll let me know at the right time. You see, you knowing what he knows doesn't change you. Doesn't necessarily change you. Knowledge doesn't change you. Revelation is what changes you. 
understanding of that revelation is what changes you. Knowledge doesn't. You know, I know that. I went to school all my life. I came out just as thick as I went in. It didn't change me. Now, that's not to say knowledge doesn't change people. It doesn't change in the heart. It, change, it might give you some ideas in your head, but it doesn't change a person's heart. I learned more. Knowledge is valuable. Knowledge is valuable. But when I'm at the right age to understand it and in the right place to understand it in my own life, then knowledge is very valuable. But it was wasted. It was like throwing pearls before a swine. And guess what? And you know which one I was, don't you? So start with what you need to ask God is, what do I know? What has God revealed to you by his spirit? What has God revealed to you by his spirit? We always focus on what we don't know. But all the way through the scripture, God wants you to focus on what he's already told you. Because there's the key for pressing in and discovering more of what you don't know. He's based, you've got to focus on what you know, not what you don't know. What you don't know sometimes will just frustrate you. But God's given us the keys. He said, I won't leave you as orphans. Uh, to you, Peter, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. Why? Because there's going to be some things you're going to have to know. There's some things you're going to have to bind. There's some things you're going to have to loose. There's some things you're going to have to know, Peter, before, to get to the stuff you don't know. So let's be very practical. I don't know how to read and write. Where do you think I might need to go? School. Right. Once I can read and write, it helps me move towards those things I don't know. True? I'm doing things now with my English and my, and my understanding of English that I could never do when I was at school. I didn't stop learning. I just didn't start. I started learning when I left school and went into work. Work was my learning playground. I'm the type of guy that when people show me things, I learn better when someone's showing me. Rather than getting the instruction manual out, that's boring. Let's go straight to play. Let's go straight to explode. <laughs> Phil will tell you, he looks at me and goes, read the flipping instruction. No, that's an hour. Let's go to play. Boom. Explode. I learned. Don't touch it again. Why do I need to read the manual? <laughs> Experience taught me. So, we start with what God has revealed to us by the Spirit. It's possible to know and be consciously aware of what you don't really know. What about that? I am consciously aware of things I don't know. Are you the same? That, sound, that might sound a little wee bit contradictive, but it isn't. I'm aware of a lot of things that I don't know about God and about life. So I can use what I do know. I know there's a library. I know there's an internet. I can read so I can learn so I can know about the things I didn't know. Or I could, here's a revelation. Hmm. Ready? I could go and ask someone. Right? Let someone in your chariot. Or here's another thing. I could be willing to humble myself and let someone train me. Oh, no, 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 just stick to the internet. If the internet was the fount of all knowledge, we wouldn't need mentors. We wouldn't need trained technicians. We wouldn't need anyone trained. Everything had just come through reading and writing. 
But you know, when I was at, when I was at college doing my, my um, city and gills, how many of you know when you're in college, it's an unreal world? How many of you know that? So you're a man that's going to go out. I'm going to go into the factory floor. Luckily for me, when most kids go through apprenticeships, they've not been on the factory floor. They've gone into the classroom. So the classroom tells them, and when they get into reality, they realize the classroom didn't really prepare them. Yeah? They trained to be a nurse, and then you don't see, then, you, then you're in an accident emergency on a Saturday night, and you see some of the waves and strays that come through the door. It didn't train me for him. It didn't train for the man coming through the door with a knife or a gun. When I was in accident emergency only a couple of weeks ago, a guy came in and he'd been split, slit all over. Didn't train me for that. There was no side room that he could go. His blood and guts were hanging out as I'm sat in the waiting room watching him. I'm thinking, that's different. That's different. So they didn't teach me in the classroom. They said, oh, it's a perfect environment. This will happen. That will happen. Then I get on the factory floor. Then you realize you've got a boss behind you saying we want the production out today. Classroom didn't teach me that. Classroom told me, well, it'll be all right. It's always tomorrow. Your boss says, no, we've only got today, because if you don't do, deliver today, you ain't got tomorrow. True? So, training is a very, very key part of finding out what you don't know. Let's go to Acts chapter 17, verse 18. Now, we're still, still talking about Romans 8, 28, but we're going to look at other scriptures, which is going to unveil and reveal, help us what we don't know. We're going to start with what we know this morning. Is that okay? We're just starting with what you know. What we know is far greater than we thought we knew. Acts 17 verse 18 says this. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with some of them that asked. So a group of Epicurean, Stoic philosophers. People who claim to know. These are men who thought they knew. And a man comes and speaks to them. Just hold his verse a minute while I say this to you. A man comes and speaks to them and he's trying to tell them what they don't know. But because the philosophers and because they're arrogant and proud about what they know, they can't receive what they don't know. Yes? Whenever you go into a, when you ever go into a philosophical world, there's pride and arrogance. You know, the educational seat of this world, you, well, you know, when you go to university or you go, you know, and you see these professors, you know, how dare the student tell the professor that he could be wrong? There's this arrogance that says, I'm the teacher, therefore I must always be right. So philosophy can be a very proud thing. Someone takes pride in their academic background and then they push that on, they push that down on people so people can never truly rise up. How many of you know that's, with every generation, there's smarter kids rising. Smarter kids rising. So it just, it just could be that the kid speaking is smarter in that area than the professor ever thought. And he can't, he can't just hold on to his little, uh, what do you call it, his tunic, and, 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 and arrogantly say, you know, son, you're just a teacher. Doctors can be like that. Doctors can be like that. They, they see themselves as God sometimes. So he says, what is this babbler trying to say? See, there's the arrogance right there. What is this babbler? What is this dipstick? What is this nomad, this muppet, coming into our environment 
trying to tell us something that we don't know, but we know more than him. So there's an assumed arrogance here that they know more than Paul. Yeah? Others mark. He seems to be advocating foreign gods. And you can almost say, yeah, he seems to be foreign in some gods. Dismiss the guy. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news. Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears. Yeah, that's right, because it comes by revelation. Not by human understanding. And we want to know what they mean. All the uh, um, Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about listening to the latest ideas. Have you ever met any people like that? All they do is sit down and just talk. Don't do anything. And then, if you read the story, continue the story, they said, perhaps we'll hear you on this another time. And Paul's saying, too late, boys. This is a one-gig rodeo. After tonight, I'm out of here, and you won't get to know what I know. And your philosophy and your arrogance, you'll perish with your arrogance. So there's a time when God wants us to know things, but because of our pride and our arrogance, we will never know what he wants us to know. Now, your pride and arrogance can last you 20, 30 years. And then when you do come to know, you haven't got the energy of life to go and do things with now what you know. Because let's people seem to think, now I know you're going to quote that scripture, the Lord will restore the years the locusts have eaten. Please don't build a doctrine on one scripture. You also, as you get older, you get less mobile to go and do the things you could have done when that revelation came to you at first. Yes? If that revelation was to put, let's example, if that revelation was going to set you free, that God was going to put you on the mission field, just example, I'm just using one illustration here, and now because in your pride and your arrogance at 70, you don't move as quick and you can't go to Africa in case you get, you, you know, you get a cold and you're gone. Because now you're getting older, your immune system's down, up the shot. So don't tell me the Lord's going to restore the years the locusts have eaten. You wasted 30 years. Now I know God can restore. I know God can give. But what about your responsibility? When you've been robbed, God will restore. But when it was your choice, different. Get that in context. When you were robbed, God will restore. But when you had a choice, that's called being a dipstick. There are some things God will say to you and I that if you say no, he'll never speak to you again about it. Oh, I know that. God won't remove his love from us. God won't remove his protection from us. But God says, Tony, in that area, it's closed. I can see that area of your life, you're always going to be disobedient. So now we're going to move on, and I'll use you in other ways, but I can never use you in that way. You got to, That's what I know about God. So, these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, 
didn't know what Paul knew. God wanted, how many of you know God wanted them to know what Paul knew? That's why God allowed him to walk past them. There was Epicurean Stoic uh, philosophers, when they stand before the judgment day of Christ, they were told. They were told. They were given a choice. They were given an opportunity. But their arrogance blinded their eyes. So now you said that, let's go to James chapter 3, verse 15. There's two kinds of wisdom that we need. I said there are two kinds of wisdom. If we're going to know some things, it's not just knowledge we know by. How many of you know some people have great knowledge but no common sense? And how, and how, how many of us can, can identify all those with common sense don't always have a common practice? It's not always taken to the level of practice. Yeah? Gone very quiet there. There are some things that can never be revealed to us just by knowledge alone. We need wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to know how to apply what we know. Wisdom is the ability to know how to apply what we know, when to do it. That's timing. That speaks to timing. So wisdom gives us insight into so many things. It gives us it lets us know how to apply it, when to apply it, where to apply it. That's wisdom. The philosophers thought because they knew things, they were wise. But they never knew how to apply what they knew. So much of the church is knowledge-based, but has no wisdom of knowing how to use what they know. Yes? So wisdom, according to James, he said, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. So there's two wisdoms. There's one that comes from heaven, and there's one that comes from Satan. Both want a place on this earth. Both are looking for a place. Now, where does, how does, listen to me, how does human, how does demonic Demonic knowledge find its way on the earth through philosophy, through education. Education, listen, don't, don't, you might be educated, don't shut me down here because you're going to miss something. Education is a wonderful thing. We'd all acknowledge education is a wonderful thing, right? Now I've said that, I don't have to keep explaining what I'm going to say. Education is filled with human traditions and philosophy that are governed and gu uh, guided by demonic powers. If you can control the thinking of people, you control the behavior. You control the behavior. Now we know we have to go and get trained so we can go and do. There's nothing wrong with that. But we've got to look at the system, not the teacher. Not the school you went to, not the college you went to, or the university you went to. We're looking at the system. It's a system. Your Bible tells you, where does philosophy get in? Philosophy just doesn't get in through a book. It gets through places where it's taught. Islam is a philosophy. 
So many things are a philosophy. And your Bible tells you about the vain imagination, the philosophies of this world. Of this world. So those philosophies of this world have to manifest somewhere. When you, go to, when you take little Johnny to school, you look for the right kind of school, don't you? Why? Because you're looking for the best environment with the, with the healthiest philosophy. True? And then when they go to secondary school, you do the same again. And then when it comes to universities, it's where they can get in. Not where you necessarily wanted them to be. It's where the grades will, will allow them to go sometimes. We have to want, we, you know, the Bible says human philosophy, such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is unspiritual and it's of the devil. Now, the danger is, if you remember, in Agents of Change, our conference, one of the things we talked about is the power, the difference between church per usual and church unusual. The church per usual works by philosophy, patterns, and parallels of the world and of the business world and of the education world. Church unusual works by the patterns and the doctrine, doctrine, not philosophy, doctrine of the apostolic. There's a difference. So the more, the more we become usual, the more humanized we become. The more traditional we become, the more sanitized we become, and the less of heaven is involved. So we have to be very careful where we get our patterns and our role models from. If you bring it into the church, God doesn't tolerate what the world tolerates. So you have to be very careful. Now the wisdom that comes from heaven, it said James says, it's first of all pure. So we know what's coming from heaven is pure. True? It's first of all pure. So we can trust when the, when the heavens are open and God's speaking to the church, we can trust that what's coming from heaven must be first of all. It's the first amongst everything. It's first of all, it's pure. The origins of heaven are pure. Where the origins of the, de of the enemy is evil. So when we train people in the things that's coming from heaven, there's a righteousness that springs up. But when the enemy begins to train our people, there's an unrighteousness, ungodliness, there's a wickedness that man uses. So we have to understand that the world is, a very, is our playground, but two powers are trying to take center stage. God will always take center stage. Now go to Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. He says this, and here's, here's the, the scripture in case you think I'm talking heresy. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depend on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. That's so clear. So he's saying, see to it, make sure, guard your life, that this thing doesn't take you captive. So are you saying, Pastor, that we can't send our kids to university? I did not say that. Didn't say that. We've all got to go and get trained somewhere. What I'm saying is, is make them aware. Make them aware that 
there will be philosophies coming through their lives that if they're not careful, it can begin to pull them in a direction that we don't want them to go. Why do we guide and guard our children all the way through, you know, childhood, secondary school, college, and then to just let them loose in university and go anywhere and let anyone whisper into their ears? All your life you've protected them, but university is the point where it's going to really stretch the mind and open them to things that school never did. So we have to be very careful. See that no one takes you captive through hollow, deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. The two have two different origins. You see this? Philosophy can never equal or surpass heavenly wisdom. It can never on its best day. Why? Because heaven's wisdom is supreme. Heaven's wisdom knows things that earthly wisdom could never give it. Earthly wisdom can't see prophetically. Earthly wisdom can't see the end. It predicts the end. There's a difference between a prediction and knowing the end. God is the Alpha and the Omega. So God can speak from two perspectives. So if he speaks to us from the Spirit, he can show us, and we're there. The earth can only predict at best, but we can know. So, three types of wisdom. Let me very quickly give them to you. The first wisdom is called revealed wisdom. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Remember, we're still working from Romans 8. Revealed wisdom. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. However it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has got prepared for those who love him. So just hold on there. So is it fair to say there's something that we don't know? If no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has understood, so therefore there's something we don't know. Can you see this? But now God's about to let us know what he knows. Let's pick up verse 10. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. So now we know what God knows. Yes? He's revealed it to us by his spirit. So now we know what God knows. So now we can start off on a different format than we've ever known before. We don't have to follow the patterns of this world. Now we can follow what God knows. Yes? So he says this, the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So we keep hearing the word no one. Key word, no one knows. Yeah. Verse 12, we have not received the spirit of the world. Stop there. That's why we don't follow its patterns. That's why we don't follow its philosophies. Because they'll corrupt us. Yes? But the spirit who is from God. Ready? That we may understand what God has freely given to us. So God's showing us something that he wants us to have that the world doesn't have. So now we know what God knows. I didn't say we know all that God knows. I said we know what God knows. So he's putting us on... He's putting us on the first step. How's he reve- How do we know? By his spirit. His spirit's revealed it to us. 
This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but words taught by the Spirit. Now, ready? Let's look at the dynamics. Expressing spiritual truth in spiritual words. What is our words? Spiritual words. They're not humanistic. They're not philosophical. They're spiritual words. Yes? They're spiritual words. So God has given us something that the world has not yet tapped into. You have spiritual words. So Phil read to us this morning that when the word comes, we combine it with faith. What's faith? Faith is spiritual. Spiritual. We take words that have been revealed to us in the Bible, and then we sow them back into the spirit. The spirit is a supernatural dimension that we have been given that the world hasn't. That's why heaven has to be involved in our lives. We have to reveal what the world doesn't know. This is good. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truth in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. The foolishness to him. Why? Because he's been trained in the philosophies of the world. He doesn't understand what you're talking about. So the Epicureans can come and say to Paul, yeah, 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 what is this message you're teaching us? He hasn't met the... the, uh, the standards of the board will determine what is an accepted philosophy. And Paul's saying it's not a philosophy. That's where, you, that's where you're wrong straight away. I'm not speaking a philosophy. A philosophy comes from man. I'm speaking to your spiritual words. And by them, you don't understand because you're discerned. And they're showing you your ignorance. They're showing you that you're locked outside in the kingdom of darkness. You don't know what I know, guys. And I'm only here for one night. So the man without the Spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit. Have you ever noticed that? People who are not from the Spirit of God don't accept what you say. Yeah? They are foolishness to him. So he thinks you're a dipstick. The world looks at you when you come to church and you think, look at those dipsticks going to church. Those hallelujah boys. Those goody goodies. And you look at them and you're thinking, but if only you knew. If only you could see. If only you could meet the one I've met, you would know that I'm not the dipstick you think. Hey, it's sad. It's very sad. He can't understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So if you have wisdom, if you have wisdom, spiritual wisdom, it will be reflected by what you focus most on in life. You can't say you have heavenly wisdom and live like everybody else in the world. Come on now. If you know something that the world doesn't know and you do what they do, then you're the idiot. Because you knew an alternative. You had an alternative. True? It's true. It's amazing. When you backslide, you go back to all your old vices. The things that you know will kill you. The things that you know never did you any good when you had them. You didn't know that until Christ showed you. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 14. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us up with him and present us present us with you in his presence. So let's go back a minute. If we have wisdom and it will be reflected 
by what we most focus on in life. So what are we going to focus on? Let's just hear what Corinthians is trying to help us to focus on. 2 Corinthians 4.14. Because we know, see, he's saying we know. There are some things we know. What do we know? We know the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Wow. Listen to what he says, verse 15. All this is for your benefit. All this, what we know, is for your benefit. That's what he's telling you. So what's for our benefit? Let's read what we know. So that, by, so that the grace is reaching us more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So the more that we know and the more it reaches other people, the more the grace will result in thanksgiving. So what you know should result in thanksgiving. So what do we know? Therefore, do not lose heart. So he says, focus on what you know. Though outwardly we're wasting away. Anybody recognize that? Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and our momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory. That far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is seen. Our, sorry, unseen, sorry. Our wisdom helps us to focus on what is unseen, but what we know. What we know is not necessarily seen, but we know it's alive on the inside of us because we know it. It's been revealed by the Spirit. True? Heaven is a real place, but I can't prove it to you by saying it is. Let me bring it to you and show you physically. I can show you supernaturally. So I pray for someone, they get healed. That's the kingdom. But to the cynic, oh, he went to the doctors. He was all right. He was always okay. He's, he's just winding us up. You don't, you don't want our money. People will always be cynical. We can't physically prove the kingdom, but we can spiritually demonstrate it. True? I can prove I have a wife. I can bring her out right now, and I can show you our certificate. Right? That's proof. That's proof. What I can't prove, I can't prove to you she had a grandmother. Because she's passed on. But I can show you my wife. But I can demonstrate my wife. I can get her to walk up and down and model for you. I can demonstrate her. My wife's supernatural. Natural. Or naturally supernatural. So, he says he wants us to fix our eyes on what is seen but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So, when our focus is right, listen... When our focus is right, our hope is invigorated. When our focus is right, our hope becomes invigorated. What do you mean? I'll show you scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.1. Ready for this? So are you ready? So you're focusing on what, you're not, what you can't be seen. You're focusing on what you know is a real and has been alive on the inside. Amen? So... 2 Corinthians 5.1, now we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God. An eternal house in heaven. Not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. This is our hope. This is our hope. For while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, 
so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Are you getting this? This will give you hope. We have a physical tent that groans. Have you ever noticed when you, as you're getting older, your bones start speaking to you? Oh, flipping heck, it says, don't make it to the toilet. Get a chair, get someone to push you. But God is saying that your tent is wasting away, but inwardly, you're thinking, I'm going to be naked. When I die, I'm going to be naked. But nakedness is not a bad thing because in before Almighty God, you're clothed. He clothed you on the earth by giving you a body. This body's falling apart. I'm a Stalin, you can see that. I'm, I'm the exception, but... But everyone knows that the body's getting older. And, you, and you th- you're frightened of, you know, being naked again when you, get, when you die, you know, and being exposed. But God says, as you enter into the heavenlies, he clothes you. He already has clothed you. He's clothed with his righteousness. So he's trying to give us hope that don't worry, the fading body's going to fade. It is going to come to an end. But look what's on the other side. Now it is God who has made us for his very purpose. And has given us his spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We're confident. We are confident. And I say, and I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him. Whether we're at home in the body or away from it. Right now, I'm away. You're away. We're here on earth. But there's going to be a day when we're going to be coming home. But he wants us to have hope, strength, peace, prosperity, and advancement here. So when you do go through your trials and you come to a situation and and you read Romans 8, and we know all things, God's working in all things, but I don't see it. Read these scriptures. Bring yourself back to a place about what you do know, what has been revealed to you. Because what you don't know and what hasn't been revealed to you, you fret about and think about. But he wants you to focus on what you do know. Amen? So you have revealed wisdom, then there's concealed wisdom. We're coming to a close in a second. No, we're coming to a closing and don't worry. 1 Corinthians 2, 7, so there's revealed wisdom. So he's made some things known to you. Now there's things you don't know. It's concealed. It's concealed. So now 1 Corinthians 2, 7 says, Now we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden, and that God destined for, whose glory? Come on, read it to yourself. God has been hidden, and that God destined it for our glory. Before time, Begun. So there was things that God concealed and has never told people, certain people, before time began. We read this morning from Jeremiah 29, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. But before he told you, it was concealed. So God has to speak so that something that is concealed now becomes revealed. True? So this is why we need the prophetic voice. Hello? This is why prophets, every church needs prophetic people to show you, to tell you, to let you open the door so you can enter into those things that you don't know. Last week, Greta's father was sat here. What he didn't know is that God had been thinking about him. What he didn't know is that heaven was giving him another opportunity to take a drink because he'd settled on what he knew. 
But now heaven was saying, there's things you don't know. It's been concealed. But if you take a fresh drink today, I'm going to reveal things to you. What you thought was concealed and you didn't know and couldn't see, now I'm about to help you see. Now, we think we're in a progressive church, and we are, but there's things we still need to know. And unless the prophetic men rise up and begin to speak, you'll never know. You'll never know. Does that make sense? You'll never know. But they were destined for our glory. Yes? None of the rulers of this age understood it. None of the rulers understood it. Listen, you know, our government can't stand, can't come to the podium and tell you what you know. Do you know that? None of our rulers in this nation can stand in with a microphone, pick this up and tell you what we know. Because it hasn't been revealed to them what we know. They can tell you how to run a country. Well, that's given sake. They can tell you in their theories how it works, but they can't tell you. The Bible tells us how to run a country. It does. The Bible tells us how we can run a country, how we can take a nation back. Scriptures tell us. Conceal wisdom. Listen, conceal wisdom is doing or saying something that makes no sense at the time. How many of you have done that to your kids? But which is... In fact, absolutely brilliant. So you tell little Johnny something, Johnny can't see it. And then as time goes by, you hear Johnny with your words. And you see Johnny with your patterns. But Johnny's still too proud because he doesn't acknowledge it that mum and dad taught me. I just seem good common sense. That's right, because it was wisdom. I don't need the applaudits. It's a joy to my heart to see you doing what I taught you. It's great for me to see Ben and Natalie doing certain things the way Ben was raised in our family. It's great to see him doing it with his own girls. Yeah? And it's also funny to see the things I told him not to do. I'm doing it now with his kids. Parental reverse. Oh, go on, just give it that other biscuit. Now, if I'd have done that in our house when he was a kid, I'd have rammed the flipping biscuit barrel down his neck. That's called stealing. But we think we can break the rules because we're grandparents. No, you can't. You've got to respect. A principle is a principle. It doesn't stop because a generation came to an end. So I tell Nana, that's Carol, I say, stop it. You're bringing confusion into these kids. Oh, but they're my babies. Stop it. <laughs> I'm the bad boy. So Psalm 33, 4 says, For the word of the Lord is right and it's true. He's faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. You know, Abraham, this concealed wisdom, Abraham was told by, when he was 90 years of age that him and his wife were going to have a child. It was concealed. They laughed. And guess what happened? They had a baby. Abraham was told to take Isaac and go and slay him. He was concealed. God already had a plan that he was going to provide a ram. But when, when he did it and obeyed and the ram came up, it seemed God's wisdom was brilliant. You see what I'm saying? And then you have vindicated wisdom. Oh, I love this one. This is the hardest one of all. This is the hardest wisdom of all to have. Vindicated wisdom. In 2001, 
I went to Malaysia where God did a work on my heart. And when I returned from there, people began to question my ability to pastor them. Yeah? People were suspicious. People were fueled. It was fueled by the fact that we changed the standards in the house. And as we changed the standards in the house, people became traditionally uncomfortable. So then the first thing people will do is then accuse you that you've lost your marbles. Yeah? My wisdom was challenged. My integrity was attacked. My knowledge was questioned. My spirituality was scrutinized. And my age was sneered at. Because I was a young man. Yeah? But God told me to go. Yeah? And when we told people that Jonathan David was my spiritual father, thoughts and fears of us being taken into a cult loom large. Yeah? In some people's minds. They said he will take our money. You know, the AOG has taken more of our money than Jonathan David ever did. Because that's the price of denominationalism. But listen, God, through time, vindicated that wisdom to go. Then, the name of the cha- then a change of our name came to the church. From the traditional Bethel Pentecostal church to Bethel Christian Center and then to the Dream Center. Well, that caused ripples through the church at the time. He's lost his mind. He's making us a bed center. It smacks, listen, it smacks of secularism and there's no God in there anymore. But God, through his time, began to vindicate his wisdom. So we started talking about fathering and how it made the church feel and how it would bring protection. And some people said, pastoring is the only model, not spiritual fathering. It's not biblical, it's too authoritative, it's, it's heavy. And yet, we have never seen so many blessed, free people who have come under fathering. And through time, God has vindicated his wisdom. Then we started, and touch, we started talking about touching the nations. And how we would have to spend a time in the building in the spirit. This building in the spirit, we had to take the chairs away. You can't take chairs away in a worship because people won't stand up. Now he's torturing us to stand up for two hours and worship. What kind of pastor is this? I thought he loved us. He can never preach for an hour because it's too long. But God in his wisdom vindicated us. Now in the building of the spirit, people stand up, they worship Heaven falls down. God vindicated his wisdom. Amen. Then we, took a, then we uh, said that we would have to spend money to bring our youth into Switzerland. So each year we ask our parents to raise some money to send their kids to Switzerland because this is where our Isaac youth camp is. Well, It's stupid, you can't keep making us pay the money, but your kids are turning around. We are so proud of your young people, of our young people, that to me there isn't a generation like them. God has vindicated his wisdom through time. I hope you're understanding where we're going here. We were asked to take an offering last Christmas. 
And I said to the Lord, Lord, you can't ask people to take an offering at Christmas because it's Christmas time. And people are skint. God says, shut up. I know what I'm doing. Ask people to take an offering after Christmas. So we did. We took an offering. We raised 6,000, I think it was, by the time everything came in. God vindicated his wisdom. That 6,000 pound was given to start a school in Australia. Southern Lights. That was our deposit. Why? Because God is going to open up education to us. God will vindicate his wisdom in time. The £6,000 that Australia needed, Southern Lights needed to top up their amount was the 6000 that you took. God knew how much. God vindicated the wisdom. You think, you can't spend six grand. We did. You were told to give it. We didn't need the money. They needed the money. We sold it. Why? Because God's going to give us an education system, a centre. In time, we'll have our own education system. So now we're talking about raising a multi-generational church. We were told to go and pray to the four corners of the earth for three years. It sounds stupid praying to empty walls. It looks stupid from this end as well. But look, African nations, Australians, people are here now. God vindicated his wisdom through time. So now we say, let's do discipleship. Let's start discipleship because in three years' time, we will have a full-time discipleship school. We've already created a system for that. Why? Because we're already gearing to it. We keep talking about discipleship. Some of people think, why do I need to be discipled? Because God's telling us. Well, you know, I've been a Christian 30-odd years and I don't need discipling. Well, that attitude alone tells me you need discipling. God will vindicate his wisdom through Time, that's vindicated wisdom. You tell your children, do it, do it, do it. It will bring you peace, prosperity, blessing. Your kids fight and scream and kick. And then you see them doing what you told them to do. And what does it do? It brings joy to your heart, but it brought, it was a, it was a transition of pain. So stand to our feet, if you will, please. What do you need through, what do you need to come through to vindicated wisdom? Consistency. Consistency. Keep saying the things you know. Listen, I want to talk to every parent. Keep telling your children what you know. Keep telling, listen, even if your kids are grown up and now they've got kids, keep telling them what you know. Your convictions. Keep telling them the things about God, what you know about God. Keep telling them. It's the only way God will vindicate his wisdom. He needs to find you on the ground consistent. If you keep shifting and changing the patterns, God can't vindicate his wisdom. Hello? So what's concealed has now been revealed. But what needs to be revealed also needs to be vindicated. How many of you want some vindication? How many of you make choices at work and no one listens to you? How many of you told your wife, this is the way, love? She goes, I can't see it. It's okay. God will vindicate if we do it. If we lead, God will do it. If we trust him. How many of us want vindication? How many of us want us to see God come through? How many of you believe you've told your kids that God loves them, it's the only way, but your kids are still back to lid? Is it still the truth? God will vindicate you. 
It's called vindicated wisdom. What's concealed has now been revealed to you. What's revealed to you must be vindicated in their sight. Come on. God is telling us to stand strong and be vindicated. Let's see the vindication of God come upon our house. How many of you believe that? Keep telling, Paige. Keep telling her. Keep telling her the same thing you know. Everyone, I encourage you, keep telling your kids. Keep telling them. Alvin, doesn't matter how, even how big he is there. Keep telling them what you know. It's all, it's all you have. You only have the wisdom that's been revealed. Keep telling them. Dorothy, keep telling your granddaughter. Keep telling your granddaughter. It's God will vindicate. I got to keep saying to my daughter who's backslid. Vindicate. God will vindicate his word. Because I know it's truth. It's the only hope. This is the thing that gives me hope. God will vindicate all things in his time. And we know that God works in all things. For those who are called according to his purpose. Are you called this morning? Right, let's just begin to just talk to God right now as we close. Father, you will vindicate your wisdom. The world, if they would have known what they did when they crucified Jesus, they would never have done it. Father, you will vindicate yourself. In the fullness of time, you will vindicate yourself and you will show yourself to this world that you are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. And you will show yourself, oh God, that every knee, when every knee bows and every tongue confesses, you will vindicate your name, you will vindicate your word, you will vindicate your nature and your character. Lord, all you're looking for is a group of people who will hold on to that word. And they will walk, they will walk in and enter into the days of vindication. If we use heavenly wisdom, we will be vindicated. The ways of God are just. The ways of God are righteous. The ways of God are holy. So now we know. We have a glimpse of Romans 8, 28. Now we know in all things. God's working. Amen.